Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. I'm your host, Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. And in the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you'd like to contribute to this sponsorship fund and this podcast, please join our patron community today. It's really easy, and it starts at a dollar a month at patreon.com forward slash renew the arts. That's right. Our Patreon page is new, and it's a great way to support the podcast and help us continue our artist sponsorships. Even though it is so new, we already have 18 Patreon patrons as of today, and I want to give them all a shout-out personally. I want to thank Alex Green, Blake Trenery, Curtis Jones, Dakota Thacker, Daniel Newport, David and Nicole Hamilton, E.J. Olson, Eric Ellenberg, Isaac Dietz, James Baird, Jesse and Denver Murray, Jonathan Warner, Kevin Quimby, Mark Hoffman, Michelle Payne, Sean Sullivan, Josh Jackson, and Ian Robertson. Thank all of you for supporting us on Patreon. And for those of you who are not yet patrons there, we encourage you to go and check that out. Whenever you start giving on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, just $12 a year, you'll get exclusive podcast content and a name shout out here on the podcast. With other tiers, you get to be part of a live monthly Q&A session with Justice and me. Plus, you can submit questions for upcoming podcast guests or get sneak peeks into forthcoming sponsored art projects. I could go on and on. There are some really awesome ways on Patreon for you to get engaged with our community of patrons and artists. So we encourage you to look it up at patreon.com forward slash renew the arts. Earlier this year, Justice was invited to speak at the Bad Christian Conference in Dallas, Texas on a panel with hip-hop artist Propaganda and filmmaker Isaac Dietz. At the same conference was singer-songwriter Derek Webb. Having grown up listening to his music, Justice was really excited to have the opportunity to meet Derek and talk to him. They ended up hanging out, and Derek agreed to record a podcast episode with Justice for Renew the Arts. This was quite generous of Derek, considering the tightness of the conference schedule. Their conversation ended up being about an hour long, and having listened to it a few times, I can tell you it is a fascinating conversation on a number of levels. For those of you who might not know, for many years, Derek Webb was a well-known and prominent songwriter and musician in the Christian music scene. During his years writing for Cademan's Call, and after that with his many solid and incisive solo projects, Many of us looked up to him as an honest breath of fresh air within an industry often rightly criticized for hypocrisy and superficiality. In the past few years, though, Derek has entirely left the Christian faith and has even begun strongly critiquing the very religion he once as strongly championed. This breaks our hearts, and we pray for him and encourage you to do the same. That being said, Derek's extraordinary life experience gives him a unique vantage point from which to view the relationship of the arts and the church, and we very much wanted to get his perspective. Did the church's troubled relationship with the arts and artists have anything to do with him leaving the faith? The answer Derek gives to this might surprise you. It surprised me. We want to thank Derek Webb for being so generous in this interview. 
not only with his time, but also with his willingness to engage this conversation with empathy to our beliefs and positions. I'm sure there will be times throughout this interview when you think, as I did, wait, this guy's not a Christian? I think this is a testimony to both his deep familiarity with these issues and to his charitable willingness to view these issues as we do, as Christians, even when he doesn't call himself a Christian anymore. We also want to thank him for allowing us to use one of his songs to end the episode. The song, which he and Justice discuss briefly, is Wedding Dress, from Derek's 2003 album She Must and Shall Go Free, the first of his solo records after his departure from Cademan's Call. We would love to have further conversations about what Derek and Justice discuss here, so be sure to contact us on Facebook or our website or through email if this episode sparks any thoughts or questions. Also, for those of you who listen with your children, or for those who have sensitive ears, I want to warn you that there is some strong language in this episode, so your discretion and discernment is, as always, encouraged. Without further ado, here's Justice's interview with Derek Webb. So, welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast. Thanks. Uh, this is Derek Webb that we have, um, and I feel very honored that I get to talk to you. Oh. Uh, I listened to your music a lot growing up, and um, one of the songs, and we were just started to talk about this a little bit, one of the songs that, um, there are a handful of songs by different artists that'll just pop into my head randomly, hmm. and Wedding Dress is one of those songs that oh. just, boink, like... Out of nowhere. I really appreciate just, it. Yeah, absolutely. So, for the sake of our audience, people who might um, have listened to you a while ago or, or still do, but but I would love to just kind of go over your whole story. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. And one of the things that, um, that we do at Renew the Arts, one of the things that one of our goals is to see the relationship between artists and the church um, restored or at least made more healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you have a varied, you know, assorted yeah. history mm-hmm. as an artist in the church right. and then out of the church. Mm-hmm. So anyway, even just like going back to square one, like sure. honestly, just I want to hear your whole story. Yeah, I'll do it as briefly as I can. Okay. Um, I have always played music. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, It's the only thing I've ever felt like I was really good at. It was the earliest memory I have of finally finding something that I could do. Um, you know, when I was probably five, five or six years old, started playing guitar. Um, so I found, luckily found it early. Um, but I remember finding it at a time when, um, when all my other friends seemed to be finding things that they liked and that they were good at, be it, you know, art, like drawing or academics or social or sports or school or whatever. And I was terrible at all those things. I I wasn't good at anything that was being measured in that part of my life when I was young. And so once I found music, it was just finally like feeling like I had found something like, Oh, this is my thing. Like I finally found it. And I was so grateful to find it that I, and I have a, and I didn't know yet when I was that young, but I have such an extreme personality i kind of do nothing in moderation mm-hmm. um like for instance i decide how much pizza i'm gonna eat when i order the size of the pizza because i will eat it until it's gone and so i so like i'm i just i i'm all in or i'm, or I'm all out <laughs> and so um with music once i found it 
And once I was like, oh, this is my thing and this is the thing that could potentially pull me through or out of my experience or my life into something that could be my, aspirationally could be my life someday. You threw yourself entirely into it. Yeah, and I blocked out around it completely. So um, it was like nothing else mattered to me and which is why I did even worse in school than I had been doing. Mm. You know, I was a horrible student till the day I barely got out of high school and never thought again about education. I didn't even think about going to college. Um, Everything for me was what makes music, what makes me better at at the music thing and anything that detracted from it I I, cut it out. I I cut it out, including homework and reading books and doing and social doing anything else, really? and which which was a double edged sword because I mean I did fail a lot of grades of school and barely got out of high school, but um, I also there was an experience I had when I was probably in the uh, maybe the ninth grade um, when I the band that I was in I was always in bands with much older guys because I started so early. So I'd gotten my 10,000 hours in before I was 12. You know, I mean, like I, 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 I had, you know, really worked hard. I mean, I was practicing 10 hours a day. I mean, I just, and and I was like an electric guitar, but I was like a, like a rock, you know, guitar player or whatever from all my early years. And, um, so I was always in, in bands with guys who were older than me for that reason. And so I was in this band with these guys, a few of whom, whom were late high school, some were college age. And, and I was, whatever you are when you're in ninth grade, I was, you know, 15 or 14 or 15. And, um, and we played at this, we, we had this rehearsal space where we occasionally people would come over and it was like some weekend and, and we were having this party. And I remember somebody giving me something like, uh, it was probably like a wine cooler, like a hangover in a bottle. It was something awful, Mm. but it was like, you know, some, it was alcohol, but it was gross. Um, and, but I remember somebody giving it to me, and drinking it and thinking, oh, that's tastes pretty good, and that's and I this is fun. I feel you know it's fun, but then we went to play our set, and I was kind of having fun, but then I like couldn't make my hands do what I wanted them to do, and I was playing really sloppy. I was like, this sucks. Like, mm. and I remember going home that night and thinking, like, okay, got it. Alcohol makes me play like shit. That therefore I will never drink alcohol again. Huh. And I literally didn't drink again for the rest of high school. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it was nothing moral. It was solely because, like, so, which is, so another way to say that is it's a good thing that like Jimi Hendrix or Steve Jobs, I didn't have, I didn't drop acid when I was in the ninth grade and have some amazing musical experience and then become a drug addict because that's precisely what I would have done. Right. Um, But, so it kept me out of trouble most Mm -hmm. of high school because I was just so busy focusing on how do I put myself in a better position to excel at this and get into better bands? And I mean, I was like music or bust. Mm -hmm. So that was always my thing. And, um, and somewhere in, um, high school, middle of high school is when, uh, so I grew up in the South. I grew up in, uh, Memphis and then in Houston. Okay. Um, but both in the, in the bottom half and, uh, and grew up going to church. Uh, my parents raised us going to church. My my dad had been raised Catholic. My mom, I think, Baptist, and so they raised us Methodist as a compromise. Uh, and so, but but went to private school through the sixth grade at our Methodist church in Memphis. And so I grew up with that language. Grew up with that as my default experience of reality, and not knowing that anybody else had any. And what was the other? 
I'm sorry. No, that's it. Uh, yeah. what, what, what was the, um, like, how did your church, what was the posture of your church toward your, your music playing or your, your drive in that? Like, was, uh, were they supportive? I think it was just invisible. Mm. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, and I was so young too, to be fair. Like, I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I did take some little guitar lessons, like, you, like you get a nylon string acoustic and they teach you like a one, a, a single note melody. And then we, right. then like the six of us, including me at probably eight and like three or four people in their fifties got up in front of the church for special music and played our little single note melody part that we learned. I mean, over right. weeks it was not um, so beyond le- legit that. guitar lessons. <laughs> um, but the thing is also, it was also like a really big formal uh, type church. And so there just wasn't really any, Here's the thing about it is my the view of the role of church that I grew up with and then developed as an adolescent and as an early adult was that and I still mostly agree with this that I think there is now I should preface before I get in too far into this and say that while for 30 years of my life I lived and studied and identified as a Christian I don't anymore Okay. So I don't. So that's not really where I am with with it. Mm-hmm. But I still know it better than I know anything else. Almost anything else? Yeah. Yeah. And so I and so I can still speak to it. And I know the language well still. But so for me, I always grew up, and I still think that I still think this based on based on what I find in the Bible or, or elsewhere, is that there's kind of like um, church work, and then there's like kingdom work. Okay. And I think that kingdom work is a much broader thing. I think that if you look at the Bible and you look at like what are the the responsibilities of the church as an institution, as a gathering and a practice, and I think it's to have fellowship, to preach the word, to administer the sacraments. I mean, there's like there's really just a handful of things mm-hmm. that are kind of non-negotiables. And these are things that the church does when gathered specifically. You're That's talking right. about. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, as an institution, right. is is kind of how I would maybe frame that. Gotcha. And but then you go out from the institutional gathering and live in the world right. as, as, a, as a practitioner of Christianity mm-hmm. and everything else you're doing outside of the church walls is kingdom work, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, and so for, here's a for instance. I don't believe that it is church work necessarily mm-hmm. incumbent on the church, core mission to the church to give music lessons Right. or to wash people's cars, right. or to name a random activity. Mm-hmm. I think there are very specific things that are core to, the, the, to church practice. However, I think washing people's cars, or giving music lessons, or name a random activity, mm-hmm. all of that could be potentially kingdom work. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, done by practitioners of Christianity embedded into culture. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and, and I, and really the distinction for me was in order to take the pressure off the church to say, you don't need to be doing everything. You only need to be doing a few things really well yeah. and in a very focused way and then train people up to go and do everything else. In other words, the church doesn't have to be an amazing concert venue. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be, but the, 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 the first dollar of resources it takes away from doing those first three things that should be kingdom work from there, right. in my opinion. Right. I think the, I think the church works best when it's focused on what its mission is, and let everything else be categorized as kingdom work, and let the practitioners of Christianity go and do that 
outside of the church as opposed right. to let's let the church expand and let's have a workout facility and let's have a restaurant let's have a th- like, th- yeah, that's yeah, all yeah, fine yeah. but that's not church work that's kingdom work or it can be but there's a little bit of overlap when it, because whenever it comes to um, say worship or the service and the, the some of the key those three things that you mm-hmm. said like for example the um, worshiping in with music mm-hmm. is definitely so 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 if you need musicians either on staff or volunteer you know they're involved mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. one of those key yes. Like this is the job of the mm-hmm, church to mm-hmm. provide worship, like mm-hmm. a platform for worship. So if that is the case, I mean that's a little bit. So specifically for I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yep. So so there's a little bit of both there. There's going to be some church. Saying. Uh, church like it is a role of the church to provide this kind of creativity specifically for worship mm-hmm. and of course also that kingdom element element where these artists you know there are six more days in the week yes so it's like what are they going to do like Bach for example was commissioned he was on right. salary for the church to make yes. religious music for the church I think I think it was like one new song yes. like every service but then the rest of the time was his own yep. that he could make some of the, these other yes. great pieces that we have you know, and today. I, and, and honestly, the majority of... So if you're just going to talk about art, you know, the, um, the, the, the majority of the art that's been made in civilized culture has not been made in our current model, which is to say art as commodity... Right. As a super new invention. Right. Super, super recent invention. Yep. The majority of all the art that's ever been made in civilized culture has been, as you said, made under the patronage model, mm-hmm. a lot of it, mm-hmm. where musicians or artists or whatever were blue collar and they were paid salaries. They were, they were retained and commissioned right. by institutions. It's not always the church, sometimes the government. Mm-hmm. And then their art was owned by those institutions and was shared with culture for the greater good. Right. But those artists were not typically famous or wealthy, mm-hmm. um, but they did. They were enabled to make art. They were and sustained. They were sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I actually love the patronage model. I mean, I think it's a way better model than the uh, the commodity model, which is what we're in now. And I don't think we'll ever escape from in mm. mo- in modern you know, uh, capitalism, there's no way. I mean, everybody I want- expects to own yeah. a copy of or a piece of the art, and it's theirs. You know, that's... now. Now, not to take a random pivot and swing, <laughs> but with with at least the the music mm-hmm. scene transitioning in the last five or ten years from ownership to access, exactly. Which is that's been, what with, I was going to start pushing. The on. technology piece moving us from owning a a physical CD or even a download that you paid for to just it existing somewhere in the cloud and you listen to it whenever you want, but you don't really own it's not really yours. But then right. at that point. A, a term like ownership as applied to something digital anyway is kind of starts to get ridiculous. Right. Um, cause it's more conceptual than physical. Right. Um, maybe it's kind of changing mm-hmm. because people don't really, I, I, I would imagine my children who are 10 and 11 won't grow up feeling as though they own music. Right. But they listen to and have access have to everything. Access to everything. Right. Um, so I wonder how that will feel to them. But I grew up feeling as though I owned them. I had a giant you got a CD. case, and yeah, it's like you it, it through, held sixty four yeah. of them, and I'd carry it around in my car, and uh-huh. it would, you know, and you could lose, you could get stolen. And, and it's your CD collection, and it's my CD yeah. collection, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, so that's all interesting. And technology changes it over time. I do want like to that. swing back around to that. Uh, sure. Maybe a little farther down the road. Sure. But um, to get back onto the course of the story. Well, even so, so this idea that the church has its limited primary functions, mm-hmm. 
And then there is on a larger circle mm-hmm. outside of that, it's kingdom functions. Mm-hmm. Well, not the church's kingdom functions, but mm-hmm. Christians' kingdom functions mm-hmm. outside of just that worship service mm-hmm. or just the, the work of the church. Um, so it's my, it's my opinion. Uh-huh. Um, and I certainly there are other opinions about that. That's what I see most consistently when I look at like the way the early church was arranged and organized, and when I and, and the, you know, I mean, but but that said, then there's a lot that's not specifically prescribed that is preferential, right? And that's what you were just saying. It's like okay, well then what if we do want to offer, what what if we do want to make some accommodation for musicians, or if or if or just as a where my mind was going as you were saying that is like if, if we are if it is part of the church's core work to to gather fellowship and have worship, um, and part of that that we're doing is musical, mm-hmm. and so we do have musicians here, mm-hmm. and we want them to improve and get better, and we want to invest into the, their talent or whatever, then you c- could, I can imagine at that point, have something where you could offer lessons, or you could have group things where you could, I mean, but, but so... For me, that could be preferential. You could you, you could do that. You right. could. It's not incumbent on the church to do that. It's it's kind of ancillary or, or parent. It's peripheral to to really their core mission. Mm-hmm. And somebody has to look at the whole thing and squint their eyes at it and say, "Is doing like let's draw a circle around the core things, define those core things of what they mean to us, right? And then anything that's outside of that circle, we're permitted to do." Mm-hmm. And we might choose as a preference that we want to offer and do these things, but none of that should ever pull resources away from our being able to really nail these core three. Right. And so, where, where I've seen churches go really sideways is where that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And they start to, like, I grew up in a lot of big, uh, in Texas, in a lot of big mega church environments mm-hmm. because the band I was in. Uh, I was in a band with a, a preacher's kid whose dad was a pastor of a huge Baptist mega church down there. Mm-hmm. And they had everything mm-hmm. they, they they basically blurred the lines completely between kingdom and church work as I would define them. And they had again, like a kick-ass workout facility and restaurant and coffee shop and music venue. And, um, you know, n- name it. They had, they, they basically were trying to create a heaven on earth inside yeah. of the walls of this campus of this place. Mm-hmm. And I personally feel like that's way overburdened mm. for the church. The church needs to be, like, like I think everything, like everybody focus, like focus on what you're here to do, doing it well, and then allowing everyone else to do what they're here to do and right. do well. Um, so I've just seen it go wrong and mm-hmm. maybe those are extremes, but they still make the point, you know? Yeah. So within that context, as you're playing music and everything like that, did you ever have a, have a role in your churches of like worship leader? Like, mm-hmm. like what was your relationship growing up before you were really, Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe out of the house or something like that. Yeah, with I didn't have any, um, there was no connection between music and church for me growing up. Gotcha. So I would go to church, but all my musical stuff was me being in bands with friends, playing battle of the bands, playing clubs around Houston, you know, trying to find studios to record in. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but, but also at that time, this was, you know, this was, you know, this would have been in the, in the, in the eighties, you know, into the early nineties when there was no digital music, there was no internet yet. There was no democratization of tools and access to distributing music or making music. Right. So, so it was kind of the, the, the metaphor is like, um, is, uh, you know, um, Sam Phillips in the doors of sun studio telling Johnny cash, he can't come in 
until he becomes Johnny Cash. You know, if not for the old school way that a lot of people bemoan and think was so terrible before we had, until we were post Napster and everybody can upload their stuff on TuneCore and everybody can distribute and make music on their laptops. Mm -hmm. I I get what's great about that. And I think I even prefer that. Mm -hmm. But what we lost were were expert curators helping artists be great. Now, any shitty record can come out and does every day. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Johnny Cash had come up in 2018 or 2019, he would have been an unknown mediocre gospel singer. Mm. Luckily, um, you know, Sam Phillips stood in the doors of Sun Studios and said, don't come back until you've got something great. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Cash went and, and worked harder, came back as Johnny Cash. And he said, oh, no, there, that's, that's unique. That's good. That I will record. Right. And he was a curator and a gatekeeper. Sometimes gatekeepers are for the better the betterment of the art and the mm-hmm. artist and the end product yeah and the end product and so um, but for me there was no such thing and so there kind of was so and I think the point I was trying to make is there also was not yet what we what I would now call worship product mm-hmm. which is like bands making worship music mm-hmm. for the consumption of churches right that was not a thing yet right, right. the Christian music was just kind of a designer imposter of pop music it was just like bands and 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 singers and different artists of all genres basically making music that was like the diet version of what was on pop radio mm-hmm. um but it wasn't worship it wasn't worship music yeah it was, it was it just was, autobiographical uh-huh. and but from a christian perspective uh-huh. and kind of sanitized but and harmless not terribly original but certainly not like Congregational, right? At all, right. it was it was well, singer songwriter like music, and, and, stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And they were so, making worship. Yeah. No, no, that's right. And so there kind of was no. Oh, if you're a musician, so all that was to say, there was not like there is today. The anticipation a thing of like you got to like, make. Oh, you're a musician. Come and be in our worship band. Right. There were no worship bands. Mm. I mean, in my church, it's like I think the head. There was like like maybe a, a sweet old lady playing a piano or an organ, and the head pastor standing up in the front and kind of waving his arms around, and we'd all sing together. Mm-hmm. But there weren't bands, really. And if there were, it was—I mean, it just was a different thing. Yeah, it was just yeah, a yeah. whole other thing. So there was no, um, you know, farm league for for uh, young musicians to come and even play. So if we wanted to play, we needed to go find gigs and we mm. needed to go and find bars and coffee shops to play in. So that's what I did until mm-hmm. until things picked up. My whole way through. The first time that I connected faith to to the music I was playing is after I got saved midway through high school, went through a, had a salvation experience and then got roped into Young Life, which was which is a a, a um um a high school parachurch organization. Right, yeah. And um and got real involved with that, and like a good young life leader does, they, you know, that I, I kind of came in through, I kind of got saved through young life at a camp, and then they they saw that music was a part of my life, and so that's was their engagement point for me. And they said, oh, well, you should start playing guitar at our young life clubs, right? And that was the first time I'd ever really played consistently in front of people. Gotcha. So I started playing guitar for the young life thing. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that they ever, but that wasn't playing worship songs. Again, that was playing Brown Eyed Girl. Oh. You know, like, because Young Life clubs, they would maybe play, you know, a Christian kind of chorus as the last song, but we mostly played like 50 singer songwriter music. I mean, it was weird. Mm-hmm. It was kind of weird, you yeah, know, yeah. like, but, um, but that's what it was then. 
And so I just played, it was like being in a cover band. It was like right. being an acoustic cover band that played every Monday night, except right. it was over at the, at the you know, the, the, the clubhouse of the subdivision where I uh-huh. lived, and it was like 150 high school kids. Yeah. So I did that, still played in bands, mm-hmm. but that was my first connection kind of to, to that, you mm-hmm. know. And, 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 and professionally, I wound up, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't connected to a church. It was like we joined a, f- a friend of a friend, connected me with a buddy, and, and they were starting a band. And so I kind of, and it wound up being this band I was in for like 10 years. And so it's like. And what band was that? Cademan's Call. Right, yeah. Um, and, but we were like a college band. I mean, we were gotcha. all graduating from high school at the time or just graduated and, mm-hmm. and we're just trying to be the Indigo guys. I mean, we, we, just, we were just trying to make cool acoustic folk rock. Mm-hmm. But, but Cademan's Call was labeled basically a christian band right eventually we were we, okay. we we were just we were we were just trying to play cool folk music uh-huh. from the perspective from our your I own mean, perspective i mean the job of a, any artist is to look at the world and describe it right that's the job of an artist mm-hmm. we were doing that like anybody else and a lot of us were christian in our beliefs and stuff so it was kind of coming through in what we were making which makes sense um, yeah, which I mean, the fingerprints, if, unless an artist is lying to you, you should see his fingerprints on what he makes. He should exactly. be able to hide his worldview from exactly, you, the yeah. grid through which he's looking at the world. And, um, but the way we wound up on the whole Christian music thing was not, we, we put out a couple of indie records in the early 90s, but then when we got signed to Warner Brothers, um, which is its own story, how we got signed, but mm-hmm. we got signed, we were touring all over and um, having pretty good success at it, selling indie records, all pre-internet. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we got signed, when Warner Brothers was kind of looking at us and they were like, their job is to market stuff. Yeah. Their job is to sell art. It's our mm-hmm. job, it's band's job to make it, it's, it's label's job to sell. There's nothing wrong with that. And so they're, they're always looking for a category so they know where to put you, mm-hmm. you know? And that's fine, it makes sense. So for us, when they kind of talked to us, got to know us, listened to a little bit, they're like, oh, this, this sounds like you guys are kind of Christian, so that's all we need to know, that's where we'll put you. Mm. So they marketed us as Christian music. Okay. And we were like, okay. I mean, we, we were just like, we're going to just still play colleges. That's all we did was play colleges. Mm-hmm. I mean, we played here at this venue many times mm. back when it was just still like a club, mm-hmm. you know, and we played at every college in Texas many times every year. That's all. And we traveled all over the United States playing college. That's all we really did. And, mm-hmm. but then unfortunately, and we were like, that's fine. Just market us however you want. We just want to keep touring. If you're going to give us tour support, you're going to give us money to make records, distribute them. What do we care? Right. We're just, we're just, we got a record deal. We don't really care. Mm-hmm. But then unfortunately, it, it, because people were telling us at that time, you'll never ever be on the radio, on Christian radio, because the Christian label they put us on, that those were the tools they had. What was that label? Uh, Warner Alliance. Warner Alliance. And then, this was the Christian which, label. which folded about a year after we, Start, we we signed with them. We had we were their maybe the biggest artist they'd had in a long time, but they were mm. already so far in the hole that Warner shut gotcha. them down. And then we then we ping ponged over to Essential Records, um, which which is where the band spent the, the majority of the rest of, of our career. But the point being that they were telling us you'll never have songs on Christian radio because that's not what we who we were what we were doing. Right. And but that's no big deal. We'll just come up with other strategies, and you guys have such good momentum. We'll just jump behind that. Mm-hmm. And, but then what's crazy is we had this amazing radio guy there who actually did get, we had like six number one songs off our debut record with Warner Alliance, which nobody imagined could ever happen. Wow. Because it was nothing acoustic like that on, on the radio. Like, yeah. you know, like, like three, you know, two acoustic guitars, percussion, three-part harmony kind of thing. Like, you know, real folky and edgy, like 
no one else was really doing that. Yeah. At least not in that space. Yeah. And so nobody thought it was going to, it was going to succeed, but then it did. And then all of a sudden we were getting these huge offers to come in all the college towns. We were going, all the churches and the big radio stations were like wanting us to do the gigs and wanting to sponsor the gigs. And we're like, guy, if you, I mean, if we, if we're going to go from playing in front of 600 to 2,500 and we're going to go from making X amount to X amount per show, that's, this is what we do. Of course, we're going to follow that success wherever it leads. Yeah. We didn't realize we were like permanently taking the scarlet letter on oh. of, Oh, all of a sudden, like in those couple of years, we became a Christian band. And that and just happened completely. It was not control, our strategy. Basically. That was not what we were after. Mm-hmm. But then once it happens and you're like, oh, okay, well we get how this works. Yeah. And then you kind of adapt to it and then you learn how to do it. Um, but you during, get good at it, unfortunately. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during that time or perhaps a little after that, I remember way back in the day seeing a blog post and I, th- I think this is you. I think this is you. I, and forgive me if I can. Mm. But I think that there was a blog post from you basically talking about the Christian music industry is not doing any favors for music or artists and right. that it's kind of a probably facade. the Christian music category. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I remember that that uh blog post getting, you know, pinging around quite yeah. a bit and it's like, hey, maybe this idea of quote unquote Christian music right. is not very helpful or healthy. Yeah. And I remember that, you know, a little you know, that was a a, a long time ago now. I remember that was um, I don't know. For me and my friends, it made a ton of sense. So it's like, oh yeah. yeah that, it really I think as I sense. thanks for that. I mean, I think yeah. the way I, I framed it as, if I can remember, is the idea that fundamentally the word Christian, when applied to anything other than a human being, is a marketing term. Yes, that's exactly. And right. that Christian that. anything other than people is just a fiction. It's just marketing. It's just yeah. a fiction. It's just mm-hmm. a thing that doesn't exist. And it's not that categories. So it's a category. That's all it is. Right. Um. It's not that categories aren't helpful. They certainly are. Categories are super helpful because they find categories help consumers find their find way. Find what they want. To, uh, find, yeah, they help people find their way to what they wish to consume. Right. So there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you start to use a category like Christian to describe things um, in the same way that you would use that term to describe a person. Because when you use the word Christian to describe a person, typically what's meant is here's a person who is redeemed or saved, a mm-hmm. person who, um, to the exclusion of everyone else, is going to heaven, mm-hmm. right? There's okay. the Christian people, the saved people, mm-hmm. and the not saved people, mm-hmm. the redeemed people and the not redeemed people. And how do you apply that to music? And how do you this apply that to, well, how do you apply that to album. anything else? Yeah, that fire and so it's like Christian fire Which means every, but, because then you start to sell, then you start to see these billboards that say, you know, whatever Christian radio station, safe for the whole family, which, is a, which was a very common slogan back in those yes. days. And Still I was like, oh, is, I think. it's like, oh, they're selling safety. Yes. They're selling rightness, truth, goodness, beauty. But that category, that's a rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. That, just calling something Christian doesn't make it right, true, good, or beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then especially the years that I spent actually making that sausage, I realized, oh, Christian artists are just as likely to lie and misrepresent reality as anybody else, even accidentally. Mm. Because I did a lot without even knowing, just because I was wrong about stuff. Because right. I just wasn't educated about it. And I just would misrepresent God's character altogether because I just didn't really know what I was talking about. Right. But those songs got on the radio. Mm-hmm. But it's like, in other words, like Christian stores. I was like, what a farce. But it's basically you're saying, come to our store where all of what we have behind these doors is Christian. 
And so you can just leave your powers of discernment at the door and come in and consume at will. Let your children right. consume at will. You don't have to think about this. It's pre-vetted right. for your spiritual nourishment. Mm -hmm. And it's all right, true, good, and beautiful. To, who wants to spend the time developing discernment? Well, and if there's, <laughs> the idea being if there's Christian stuff, uh -huh. why would we consume anything else if we're Christians? Which actually kind of drives that wedge of the separation right. between sacred and secular. And it's now it's like, well, can I listen to Bob Dylan? It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's secular. Maybe he's not good to listen to. Well, he's and my favorite quote about that over the years, uh -huh. which is a complicated quote for me now because I don't really believe either way about it, but is by my pal David Dark in Nashville who said that they're actually, the, the, the thing, the whole Christian secular thing is so ridiculous because from a Christian's perspective, there isn't a secular molecule in the universe. Exactly. So exactly. what is secular? What does that even mean? It doesn't make any sense, yeah. Now, I personally maybe believe the opposite of that, but the point being... Right, right, and we'll get there. It's all the same thing, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, and the distinction is a fiction of marketing. Right. It's not a real thing. Right. And it's super unhelpful. Right. Yeah, which I think is probably what you're talking about. Yes, that was the blog post that I was referring to. And so you start bucking up against that. Mm -hmm. And you start putting the you know that blog post up, or you kind of. And yet, my stuff was still being distributed through Christian channels. Did that ever change? As far as uh, like, did your albums ever Not, get pulled off the? Oh yes. Oh, I'll always. Okay, so that's what I'm. That, but so, I was so still with a deal? Christian record label. Okay, they were just getting pulled from. They would just have to fight with the retail all the time. And and that fight with retail is that is that more. Um, uh, local, like whoever owns that particular bookstore, it was, or is it, it was, like distributors saying it was with chains? In, yeah, okay, it was with it. chains. Mm -hmm. I remember Mardell down here in Texas being my first record. They just sent them all back. The boxes of them came back. Which to one the was label. that? My first record was "She Must and Shall Go Free." Okay, your first solo one, yeah, uh -huh, which had wedding dress on it. And is um, that, why did they pull that one? Because of for I am language a and content. Mm -hmm. uh, I am where I do confess. Mm -hmm. Is that like, or did they point to any specific? And yet, or they just said this is too graphic in general. Uh, yeah. Yeah, mm. they did. And, and and my fascination with that was like, so for instance, the song Wedding Dress, it's based on Ezekiel 16. Yes. And which is a very graphic part of the Bible. Yes. And what and 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 my song was a very soft version, a very gentle version of what Ezekiel 16 actually says. And it's a beautiful composition. It's, it, it's not well well and and that part of the Bible is very graphic and really yes. rough. Yes. And what fascinated me though is that they still they still chose to carry Bibles. Yeah, and exactly. they don't and they don't put them behind the counter mm -hmm. for adults to come and request to get pulled out. They put them out where children and anybody can find them. Yeah, which is why I think that these radio and yet stations, my content wasn't half as provocative. What was in the Bible? That's, that's yeah, that's what's so crazy, and that's one of the huge issues that like that blog post or these albums or like this contention was kind of starting to highlight. Yeah, and it was like, hang on, your slogan should be um, more family friendly than the Bible. A little bit. And it's like safer than the Bible. Yeah. And it's like, how is that even, how does that work? Like how, how can you live in that cognitive dissonance? Like you're saying, like why aren't the Bibles behind? Right. And it was just intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Just the whole thing. Just to say like, like I don't know what they were protecting, but they, but to, to, to put guardrails up around art and then to also carry Bibles and to say, and this is ultimately our model for like my, my rule of thumb for, for many of those years was anything Jesus is Lord of, you can make art about. Yes. So what isn't he Lord of? Well, if he's Lord of all things, which is what the Bible says, then we should be, we, we can and should be putting a biblical language on everything from family to sexuality to politics to everything. We should be making art about everything. Right. And yet the majority of all Christian art is about the most spiritual 2% of stuff. It's about right. tr transcendent moments of worship in the afterlife. Yeah. Anything else we're not going to carry in a Christian bookstore. Right. And yet there's Bibles there. 
They yep. give us a model to make art about everything. There's well, all kinds of art even in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the questions I like to ask people is like, um, does every single book of the Bible preach the gospel? My and, tradition growing up said that it did, so, and, and, and I did, and I and I did the Christian part of my personality, the 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 the, the uh, residual Christian part of my personality says, of absolutely it does, of course it does. Uh-huh. And so the yeah. question is then, like, show me how Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes isn't about Jesus, ultimately. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and um, even. It, with the Song of Solomon, it's like, oh, it's an allegory for Jesus in the church. And it's like, well, I can buy that. But the thing about an allegory, or especially a metaphor, is that it has to be true in its first yes. sense first. Right. That doesn't mean and it so, only has one meaning. In fact, exactly. by definition, it means it has two, which means it's also about sex. Exactly. <laughs> and it just is. And yeah. if you were following some of the and metaphors it could, and it could and only the content, be about that. you'd have to sell it in a brown paper bag. That's right. Which is what my pa- old pastor used to say. And it's like, okay. Yeah, I agree and, with that. And so if, if this is, first of all, a love song. Mm-hmm. Because here's the weird thing about saying it's just an allegory. Right. It doesn't work as an allegory if it doesn't first work as a love song. That's exactly right. It's like, oh, you can say Jesus is and married to the church, but what if I don't know what marriage is? Right. Or what if I don't know what a good marriage is? Yep. And it's only an effective allegory in as far as it does, it's, it serves its, its primary purpose primary well. Primary job first. Mm-hmm. But also, it wasn't, it, it's, 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 an, it's more intellectual dishonesty because, to say that, because the people who wrote it it were, were thousands of years before Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they were writing it as legit erotic material. Yeah, how would they? Yeah, exactly. Like It wasn't they, their intention. It was certainly. not their intention to yeah. be writing right. poems about a coming savior. They were writing sex poems. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and that was their only view intention of it or intention with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Now, in the context of what it is, you see that it does have this amazing, beautiful, you know, layer. double yeah. meaning or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I don't see how you could possibly make a case and say that that's all that that that's is. That's all it, well, and the church had for a very long time right. and still a lot when of When the author of to. it couldn't have possibly seen it that way. Yeah. Would be a little red flag at least. <laughs> a little one, just a tiny one, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so um, so did, did that conflict or that frustration, did you ever find, did you ever see that as you fighting the church or being frustrated with the church or was that you just being frustrated with these bookstores that are like parachurch and like kind of just doing I think it was more the latter I mean I I don't I don't really know I mean I think over time I probably saw the church at least um, uh, validating though what I was seeing the ethics of what I was seeing going on in these bookstores right um but at but, the same time, these bookstores are doing it because that's what helps them financially, which means oh, that's the demand, oh, pure, which means that if that's yeah. the church, so it's... It's pure capitalism because, um, and I'll tell you where I really learned that, was like the song Wedding Dress was written about the book, The Prayer Jabez, Bruce Wilkinson's book, The Prayer Jabez. And it's its own story and it's Googleable, And so people can go and find out the history of that song. But Check the point out. is that when I wrote that song, that was the most eclipsingly popular piece of content in every Christian bookstore in the world. It was The Prayer so, Jabez? The Prayer Jabez was... Uh-huh. And, and an unbelievably, a scandalously um, unorthodox bit of teaching. I mean, mm. it, it takes one verse of the Bible, completely out of context, a, a, a single prayer that we don't know exactly why it was prayed. We don't know how it was answered. We don't know that it was prayed more than one time mm-hmm. by an obscure Old Testament figure. Mm-hmm. It's just a little real random blip that just is there and it has no other inherent meaning to anything. And it was, and Bruce Wilkinson, who was unfortunately a great Bible teacher up until this book, he's smart enough, smarter than to, to know. He knows better. He knows better, but 
He took it and made it into a systematic, you, you pray this prayer every day for 30 days, and as the back of the book said, it's the prayer that God cannot not answer. Got and him. So, so, Got him. Yeah, so it, I mean, it was. It was, a, it, was a, it was a strategy for how to get God's blessing is you pray the Jabez's prayer to expand your territory every day for 30 days, and God will, will answer it. He'll grant it. And, and, and this is out of his mouth because I sat 10 feet from him the night that I went back to my hotel and wrote wedding dress. I sat 10 feet from him and listened to him for 90 minutes teach this. Mm. Uh, I reserved my judgment till I heard it come out of his mouth at a big Christian booksellers convention in Atlanta one year. So you, so, so coming out of his mouth and you immediately, you're like, nope. Yes. I was like, nope. And that night you wrote wedding dress. I went dress. and wrote wedding dress. Hi, um, and what, what's the um, connection there? Like how did be, that be, inspire be, wedding dress? Because... I was like, wow, how easily, how anxious we are to pay for what we get for free and mm. how offensive that is to like someone basically selling people. It'd be like selling manna. Mm -hmm. It's like something given to you for free. I'm going to hoard it and then try to sell it back to you like mm -hmm. spoiled manna. That's what mm. that book was to me. Mm. And, I, and I was also like, but that's what my own heart wants. Mm -hmm. Like that's exactly what I respond to. Like I want more. I want, you right. know, it's like, and, and again, so that story's all, but the, the point being, if, if the guardrails, the ethical guardrails that Christian bookstores put around their content was what's right, true, good, and beautiful, um, then that book would never have been carried. Right. And not only was it carried, but it was on the front shelves of, and it was Jabez study books and Jabez themed Bibles and Jabez ever, I mean, it was like, it was racks and racks of products based on the prayer Jabez. Uh, Jabez, um, prayer Jabez, uh, multi uh, disc soundtrack thing with a bunch of Christian artists, and mm -hmm. I mean, it blew up. It was so big, and it was just pure capitalism. Yeah. So there may people could make an argument that there's Christian and secular art. Let me tell you what there's not is Christian and secular money. Mm -hmm. That's all the same, and the Christian companies want it as bad as everybody else does. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they would not carry one thing and say, well, it's because we're the moral, you know, gatekeepers for our community that we care so mm -hmm. much about. And then they will, they will carpet bomb the prayer Jabez all over their stores right. tells me they don't really care about defending what's biblical. Right. They care because that thing, you know how much money that represented for those stores per week, per month. Mm -hmm. There's no way they were not going to carry it. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how flagrantly, it doesn't even it matter was. how much they hate the book. We're going to have to put it on they our shelves. They have to carry it. Because <laughs> yeah. it was it sold like 20 million copies. I mean, you have to have it. Yeah. If you're going to be here and here making a living, you have to. So, so if the church is dichotomy. On, you know, yeah. And it, so, so you think the issue is that the church is, instead of perhaps doing historically what churches do, which is support an artist locally in a congregation for the purpose of you know church music and also maybe some kingdom compositions mm -hmm. outside of that, the church lately has just co-opted the capitalist model sure. of just saying supply and demand. What you want is what you'll get. Just let me know what what to make oh, and I'll make yes. it. So, Wh which I feel like goes back to that initial argument of church work and kingdom work. Right. Because if they're like, oh well, if we're just going to be pure capitalists, which is the way a lot most things run, and certainly most churches nowadays run, mm -hmm. that's why you open up a workout facility and a restaurant. Because mm -hmm. we want your money here. We want you to stay here. We want you to invest all your time here. We want to keep you, it's like Facebook. We want to keep you in our ecosystem as much as possible. Yeah. So you're spending all your There's money There's no here, reason to leave this Investing all site. your time here. There's no reason to leave this compound. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what happens when you, when you, when you, when you stop 
seeing the distinction between strictly church work and kingdom work. Now, again, yeah. a lot of it's preferential. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make a new law out of it and say, yeah. well, here's the rule. Here's how you do it. And if you're wrong, mm-hmm. if you don't, because that's not true. Mm-hmm. There is a prescription of these are the things we must do in order to be called the church when we gather yeah. and to be about the Lord's business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest is preferential, maybe. But um, this is the inevitable conclusion of what happens mm-hmm. um, when you blur those lines. Because so, then the church is like, oh, wait, if we're just going to be pure capitalists, then what do people want? What do people want to hear? Screw the church calendar and teaching our way straight through and even, you know, let's just teach topically and, and just whatever our guy has the most study in and can speak most dynamically about or just things that people want to hear the most about. And mm-hmm. there's whole parts of the Bible we could never even talk about. Cause we're, I mean, you know, once we're off the church calendar, it's like, there's whole parts of the Bible you could never have to teach if you don't want to, cause they're complicated. And you're not gonna, people want to hear, they don't want to hear that complicated stuff. They want to come in here. Something's gonna make them feel good. Something apple for their lives yeah. and then just get them out of here. And what that actually does is it's capitalism for, for, for artists that are, um, dedicated to their to their vision and to their craft yeah. and to their faith mm-hmm. that creates a huge break and rift in relationship so you, sure. all of a sudden you have a choice of either bringing in artists that are willing to play that game mm-hmm. or you are essentially pushing the consistent visionary artists out the door i think that's right well and so what happens is you you wind up with um, in order to have the opportunities inside the church, if it's like, oh, you're a musician, come and join our, join our worship band because that's the only valid expression or valuable expression of you spending your time doing this, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of churches would say. Mm-hmm. What happens is you have a lot of confused artists because just because you are a, a mu- someone who's gifted um, or skilled at music mm-hmm. does not mean that you are also gifted or called into vocational ministry. That's right. a different thing. Right. Now you can do vocational ministry through the within the vehicle of music, mm-hmm. but that's a different vocation than being a professional musician. I never saw any music I ever made as ministry. Right. Never. My brother's a doctor in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. He is a he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a, pra- a a practitioner of Christianity. But when he goes to work every day, what motivates him to go is not to go and save people and to evangelize to people. He goes in to provide excellent health care for people. Yeah. Um, now, are there random unforeseen opportunities that come up for him to maybe talk about his beliefs and how he sees the world with people in his job occasionally mm-hmm. that are unintentional and surprising? Absolutely. Does he want to take advantage of those? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. But the motivations are different. He's not a professional um, vocational minister who's whose Trojan horse is healthcare. Right. He's a professional healthcare giver, right. provider. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the same way as a musician. I'm just showing up trying to play and write good songs and perform them well. If ministry was going to happen or whatever, because that's part of how I saw the world, cool. That's not why I'm here, though. Right. But a lot of churches and church culture encourages people that that's the only valid expression of musical gifts is that it's, and it's just a is you have to of the use truth. it as a tool for evangelism. Yeah. Whereas where is the where's the standard? Where's the double standard that says that my brother shouldn't use his gifts in healthcare to be primarily evangelism? He's allowed right. to go and be a good doctor and not have to put Bible verses on his tongue depresses to to be a val be you know mm-hmm. to validate him. And so what happens is because of that system and that environment, you wind up with worship bands that don't really worship and rock bands that don't really rock because they're all confused about what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Because you have musicians who are 
primarily gifted and, and skilled to be great musicians, but feeling like, well, but I'm supposed to be using this for ministry, so I guess I need to sort of morph it into some kind of a ministry thing. Right. But then you you have people who really should be local vocational vocational pastoral ministers using music uh-huh. who see these rock bands out there thinking, oh man, I want to be cool and be famous and make money and tour like that. And so they're also not leaning in specifically to what their role could be. Right. It's like, dude, you go do your thing. What happened to diverse members of one body? Like, you go do your thing. We'll do our thing. Let's stop being confused about whose job it is to do what. Yep. And you wind up nobody really doing what any of them are supposed to be doing, and the kingdom doesn't get forwarded or whatever. Yeah. So as of today, you would consider yourself not not Christian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I wonder... Is there an element at which you felt pushed out or that that rift in relationship you think might have um, contributed to the bad taste, I guess, that you have in your mouth or Mm -hmm. like it certainly wasn't. It it, it seems like a lot of excellent artists that are actually trying to be genuine and honest and consistent and true end up. It's like getting pushed to the fringe, then kind of just operating outside of the church and then it's like, oh, they're not mean. Christians anymore. And there seems to be a bit of a trend there. And it's like, is yep. the church, like, the way that uh, one of my friends put it, like, do you think that the way that the church treats artists is basically, um, like, pushes people toward atheism, basically? Pushes artists towards mm-hmm. atheism? I mean, I feel like what I've seen of that sort of thing is, like, um, I think that as artists work their way out, they maybe have to develop a more liberal language with which to talk about their Christianity or whatever. But um, I, most of my friends who've gone that way, most of them don't wind up in full disbelief. Mm-hmm. They just say it in a way because they've had to adapt. As, they've, as you've said, get, they get pushed further and further out if they doggedly stick to their guns about how they think is the right way for them to do it. Mm-hmm. They eventually, if you if you really get down to the nitty gritty, they are still believers, right? But they talk like non-believers because they don't work in that world anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not my case. I don't feel like I was pushed out. Okay. I don't feel like there wasn't space for me, or not a place for me to grow and and where I was nourished and stuff as an artist or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at all. Okay. I, I don't feel like I was failed by the system. I don't feel like any of that, or even just didn't identify it with anymore. I kind of liked being an outsider. Um, cause for a long time I did feel like I saw things a little differently, but I enjoyed being on the inside of it, continuing gotcha. to put my records out kind of on, on a, what was a Christian label, but I was for sure their most progressive artist, but they continue to support me and put my records out through Christian channels. And I kind of liked the irony of it. I, I, that, mm. I was, I was cool with that. And I don't, for me feel like it was just this inevitable, Oh, I hung out around the edge of town so long that I just kind of fell like out of fell town. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens. I don't, okay. I don't think that really happens. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I know that seems like it would make sense. Like, ooh, you hang out with those people long enough, you're gonna become one of those people. I don't think that's true. I, don't think, I definitely don't think that's true of, um, of like spiritual belief mm. and definitely not of Christianity if, it's, if, if, th- if the economy of how salvation works is the way the Bible says. Nobody could have taken my heart of flesh and replaced it back out with a heart of stone. Right. That's spiritual work top to bottom or it's not real. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, um, so I feel like my trip out of Christian belief was a whole other journey and it was just your for own all thing. other reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really had nothing to do with feeling failed by, I definitely felt failed by some individual Christian friends, but I don't feel like they're representative of 
a systematic a system or, or or even the churches that they were part of i feel like mostly my church like people in leadership roles at churches um around me have always been pretty supportive of me and always engaged with me and and still do really mm-hmm. um i think there was a lot of disappointment when it came to like individual christians who i was surprised a little bit how they would handle some things but right no i don't feel to clarify the, the the point about atheism, I heard someone say that the Christian music industry has probably done more to create atheists than Christians, as far as like the the industry, the way that it operates. Mm. Like, see, I would see that come in a different way. Okay. I would I wouldn't see it affecting the artist making the art so much as if what's being heralded as Christianity through the arts by way of these songs, and if someone comes to Christianity, if you, if you go to any movement, you can look at its soundtrack to get a sense of what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true of almost any movement. And, um, and uh, you, like, you want to get to know the anti-war movement, civil rights movement, listen to Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, right. you'll get a pretty good sense. And mm-hmm. you're like, wow, there's a lot here. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. This is really meaningful. I get it. Right. If you were to go to Christi- Christianity's version of their tip of the spear advertisement for their worldview, which usually music is near the out of the out, the outer edges of what people first experience. Might experience and they're trying the to get a sense of what's this all about. What does yeah. it really mean? Is it a real thing or not? Because you might not show up in, if, the, in a church service, but you'll hear Christian music. Yeah, maybe on Christian music typically because it's more it's it's because it's it's efficient. It's efficient storytelling and all good marketing is storytelling. So like the marketing of Christianity is its music. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. So if the music is kind of shitty, anti intellectual, kind of dumbed down, kind of watered down then the advertising and, and is mostly unoriginal mm-hmm. um, and kind of not all that great kind of following pop trends half a decade or a decade behind all the time, which right. is what it has a strong reputation for having done for over many years. Then it could probably be doing Then people lot. are like, Oh, I get what that worldview is all about. Cause I've, I've, I've heard their music and it's like stupid. Why would I go? I don't want that. Like, I mean, that's Why not, would that, I? that doesn't sound like anything worth me believing or staking my life on. It sounds like a bad just version a, of something I had just 10 a, years just ago. Kind of a weird kind of self-help religion or I don't really know what it is, but it's not, it's not mystical or meaningful or transcendent. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like stuff I've heard other places. Like, so if, if Christian, if Christianity's music and soundtrack is it's marketing and advertisement, which it is, and that's what people primarily experience to get a sense of what Christianity is all about. It for sure is doing more to foster unbelief than belief, in my opinion, because the version of Christianity that you hear in its, in its art on the whole, mm-hmm. if it's all, you know, what you hear on Christian radio and Thomas Kincaid or whatever you find in a local Christian bookstore, or Christian radio station, what's being clearly rubber stamp advertised writ large as Christian mm-hmm. content, right, true, good, beautiful, mm-hmm. sanctioned, yeah. spiritual, pre-vetted spiritual nourishment. It's completely uninteresting. It's completely non-mystical. It's completely non-transcendent. It's pretty much, yeah, I, I mean. Christian self-help. I would for sure believe something else yep. if that was my experience. I think that's most people's experience. So yeah, I think that quote's right on, but that's how I would read it. And I think, yeah. Not think about the people is, making it, yeah. but about that's, the people well, that's why receiving the it as this is Christianity. That's why I oh, changed well, the question. Oh, well then why would I believe yeah. that? That sounds stupid. Yep. And that's, I think, what, what it was referring to yeah. more. No, I, I would agree 100%, unfortunately. So last, last idea, last question. Um, even though you are outside of the church at this point, like if you were able to place yourself back in it or even just give us advice, it's like, 
uh, our organization, Renew the Arts, is working desperately to try to mend the relationship between yeah. the church and the artists and say, listen, uh, you know, if, if, if you're going to have a position in the church, like that should be a position of leadership. Like you should yes. be trusted. Like an artist can be trusted, should be trusted. They mm-hmm. have a certain position of leadership that God gave them. They have a certain calling and they should be trusted with that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, on the other side of things, artists, artists shouldn't think that they have some sort of um, supreme artistic right that removes them from any form of accountability or whatever. It's like right. humble yourself, put yourself in this. Mm-hmm. All that to say, as we're trying to mend this relationship, and as we're trying to 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 heal things, like what what would your advice be mm-hmm. to the church? I don't know if that's an odd question for well, you. It's not. Um, but it's like, how do we fix this? I know. I mean, probably like anything really gets fixed, which is like just a tiny step at a time, like one relationship at a time. It's Mm. not going to, I don't think it's going to be like a new curriculum. I don't think it's going to be a a big movement. I think it's going to be a slow obedience in one direction for a long time Mm -hmm. of just like, just a difference, a fundamental difference in practice. Mm -hmm. So it would just take, it would take, it'll take like individuals having these conversations and it's not going to be like a really punchy tagline that's going to jog somebody's, you know, record scratch somebody's brain and be like, oh, or a t-shirt there it or a is. slogan at a conference. I think it's going to be like this. It's going to be like long conversations, process thing, and realizing, oh, oh, that doesn't really make sense. I think I get that now. So what could make sense? Let's talk about it. And I think it's just like doing it. It's going to take people who see it doing it correctly in as far as they can consistently yeah and then letting that demonstration be the invitation like letting mm-hmm. people see that and be like oh god that just that makes so much more sense yeah and you start to hear those stories of like oh well there's these people doing it like this and right that seems to be really working out and 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 kind of the whole proofs in the pudding thing of like saying oh you know here's some random church in wherever part of the country or city where they're doing it this different way mm-hmm. and look at the art that's coming out of that community, both, yeah. both Christian categorized and not it's all of us just, I mean, there's really only two categories of art. There's good and there's bad. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'll Absolutely. listen to anything that's, I think is good. Anything that's not, I, I won't. And it doesn't matter what your subject matter is. So I'm as open to Christian art being good as anything else. It just tends not to be. But the point is like, just judge it on, on its own merit and say, but the point is that people will see that yeah. over time. They'll say, wow, look at what's, what are those people doing? Because what they're making, those artists seem to be really liberated and clear in their roles mm-hmm. to feel as though they are able to go and make precisely what, they're, what, they, what they are made to make. And that's exactly what we do. Our mission statement yeah. is to liberate Christian creativity. Yeah. That is our whole goal. I think that, and, so, so there isn't really any other advice beyond that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, to get more specific, we have two programs. Very simply put, the first one is to cultivate conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a whole. That's and some, a whole and some people learn it this way. Yeah. yeah, this way, or maybe small groups. We have mm-hmm. events, you know, in, and we have a podcast, which will, yeah, obviously th- that's what this is. Um, so it's like cultivating conversations so that we can talk about it and develop a biblical conversation, a helpful, healthy conversation yeah. about this. And then our second program is to actually sponsor this kind of creation so we actually have a patron community great and they bankroll projects so basically we've produced about more than a dozen full-length albums a couple books some visual art dude that's great what we do is we finance the projects 100 percent up front say do whatever you're called to make don't even 
don't worry about its sellability. Don't worry about wow. we're paying for it up front. And then at the end of it, all rights and royalties go back to the artist. Unbelievable. Period. I think the art's going to be better that way anyway. Right. So any so, insiders is like, yeah, just keep plugging away at that or any like tweaking? No, no. I mean, it's like demonstrate it and talk about it. And that's basically, that's, that's that, that, yeah. those are your two things. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, here's the thing, like any real good change happens so slowly that you almost don't even see it until you look back. Mm-hmm. except in hindsight, which mm-hmm. I'm sure now you can do now that you've got these, all these projects that have been funded by this model. Now mm-hmm. you can see the effects of it, but along the way it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way I feel like anything really permanently changes. Right. Um, so I know, I think, I mean, I wish I had, I mean, you're, you're unfortunately you've beat me to the punch, but, <laughs> but, but, I, so, but I think that's good. I think that sounds good. I think that sounds right. That's really encouraging. You know, no, really I, I, yeah, be encouraged. Cause yeah. that, that's amazing that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And like I said early on, I think the, the patronage model is how the majority of great art, I think, has been, that, we, that we know about, has been produced historically. I know. Way more than Because if you look in the, the last 200 years, model, like how much, yeah. especially with the Protestant church, how much Protestant art uh, has proven the test of time in like the last, you know, however right. many hundred years. Like, oh man, I can't Or even... it's big churches realizing they can turn a pretty penny turning their worship bands into like starting record labels, mm-hmm. releasing them, collecting CCLI money. Yep. So it's like a similar thing, except they're bankrolling it and then they're keeping everything. Mm. It's more like what record labels do, Yep. which is like, we'll pay for it. It's like, it's like if I, the way record labels work in some of these churches that have these worship labels now mm-hmm. that they're running, which yeah. again, I think is kingdom work, not church work. Um, what happens is it's like going to the bank, taking out a loan for a car, paying off the car and the bank owns the car. That's what mm-hmm. record labels do. Mm-hmm. You pay them back. They give you the money to make the art. You pay them back, and then they own the art. Yep. And that's what a lot of the churches are doing, too. Yep. And they're seeing it as, a, as an ancillary um, revenue stream. Mm-hmm. And so they're, and that's just, not so they're just squeezing yep. artists, all the juice out. Yep. And I don't think that's, a, I, I don't think, I think that's going to come crashing down here in another decade or so. But Especially I mean, I, with the change, and I wish we had yeah. more time. We do have to wrap up. Yeah. But the change of the market, with everything going towards streaming, I think it makes a ton of sense for and a patronage model. And the ever-changing, yeah. It's like, I do too. Listen, it's better to just fund it up front, I make something you believe in, and just let the finances kind of I just be a completely tertiary matter. Yeah, and it and holds the it. all the conventional trappings of of the whole scene at bay a little bit in terms of like, you're going you're gonna to get paid modestly. You're not going to maybe be super famous at it, but you can make a living at it and you'll yeah. make better art as a result. Absolutely. And I'm down with that. Yeah. You know, 25 years in, that's all I hope for. Exactly. I'm not looking to be rich or famous. I just want to make a living and make stuff that's honest. Exactly. And, and I think that with I think that, that, changing that model, model does that. Yeah, yeah, it works now today yeah. more than ever. It's cool. Or not more than ever, but more than any time recently. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much cool. for coming on. Yeah, great that talking great. to you. Okay. Thanks. wife and for my 
Look for blessings in disguise To make me handsome, rich and wise Is that really what you want? Go. Oh. 